0: What's going on, guys? Charles and Rob, aka The Handsome Home Buyer. This week's podcast, we have a new up and coming multifamily maven, Chris Grenzig, formerly of New York, of Toro Partners, relocating down to Florida, Jacksonville, to start his own firm and killing it. This is a great one. I hope you enjoy. See you next time. Yeah, kid, welcome, welcome, everybody, back to another episode of The Handsome Home Buyer Podcast. My name is Charles, aka The Handsome Home Buyer. A.K.A. Captain Permit. Levy! A.K.A. El Huldio. Maravilloso. And this is like the week of podcasts. I got four podcasts this week. We are firing. Yesterday, I was on the real estate and chill podcast. It was absolute madness. They came in here. You guys can see what went on. Party poppers. I went to their place. It was crazy. They had like a mariachi band, a DJ, 15 people that I was cool with or wanted to meet me. Spanish food everywhere. It was absolutely nuts. Levy said it was literally the highlight of his career. So uh, anybody in Long Island Real Estate who's interested in uh, something a little unique and different, definitely check out Real Estate and Chill Podcast. Obviously, my name is Charles, the handsome home buyer. If you have a house that smells like cat pee, is dated from the 1960s. Six inches of mold, human waste floating past the basement steps, land, commercial property. You know what? I don't really care. If it's anything real estate related, notes. If you got it, I want to buy it. 516-777-SOLD. That's me back there. Courtesy of the Real Estate and Chill guys. Obviously, if you have any kind of permit problems, and listen, even my myself included, Owning Captain Permit, I'm having permit problems, so I know you guys are having permit problems. You need any help with permits across Long Island, tip to tip, and by that I mean Montauk to the Queens border. We're not in the boroughs yet, but one day we will. Let's try to get Long Island under control, which is uh, easier said than done. You got to call the Captain, Captain Permit, 516-513-8838. All right, we got a good podcast today from, uh, from New York to Florida. Got my man Chris Grenzig, love this guy. He's he's up to he basically he left his previous firm just opened a banger of a firm down in Florida. Haven't talked to him in a while. Was formerly with Torho Partners. He was there for four and a half years. They purchased over four thousand units valued at roughly three hundred million dollars. Uh, if you checked out the uh, LLS last year, we did the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society uh, benefit. He was one of the speakers. Awesome, very captivating. We had over ten thousand unique views on that. It was a great, great event, and we raised over $60,000 for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. He's now in Jacksonville, Florida, just opened up JAG Communities six months ago. He's tall, he's handsome, he's got a fantastic head of hair. His 10-year goal is $500 million under management. He's my man, Chris Grenzig, Grenzig!
1: What's going on, brother?
0: Bam good to see you dude it's good i gotta say one i gotta say one thing that just came to me as i clicked on when you have hair that nice it's a sin (laughs) to to wear a hat it's a sin
1: you know what it is it's it's getting a little long right now so you can see if you're watching just on the side so i need to get a cut so it's like
0: like, that was like hair porn for me dude yeah it was like shiny luscious as you move all right sorry I, it's I, all I, good. I, you I, know what?
1: I wasn't thinking this morning. I should have looked at my calendar and said, I know this guy loves it. I shouldn't have worn a hat. So I apologize that.
0: <laughs> you should have gotten a fresh cut. Yeah, exactly. Product in there.
1: That's you know, my mistake. Forward got, thinking. Got, Not like my the, forte.
0: The next time. I got like the mange thing going on here right exactly. now. Keep it as long as you can. All right. right, Will do. Um, Yo, so it's great to reconnect with you again, man. I'm really for excited sure. to hear what you have going on. Um, And this is going to be huge for people because you're a super young guy. How old are you? 29. So you're, you're a very young guy, 29. Mm -hmm. You've uh, you've been in the multifamily world for five years before that you tested out the fix and flip market, which you didn't love, which you got to try everything, Mm -hmm. but um, it's going to be great for people to kind of hear your story and, and see what you're doing now, because you really can, can tell and showcase the progression of, you know, not knowing anything about real estate, getting into real estate, trying different things out, working for, for a fund essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing multifamily, getting the experience and then saying, you know what, it's time for me to move on, getting the blessing from Toro and now building your own thing. So it's super exciting.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, that's one of the things I'm, uh, I'm really happy I did early on was trying out a bunch of different stuff. Cause I think a lot of people get pigeonholed into like the most popular forms of doing anything, but especially real estate, right? Everyone's like, Oh, I want to flip or I want to wholesale. And now even still people like all value add multifamily when there's, you know, 40 different ways to do, you know, 20 different types of assets and, you know, multitude of different strategies within them. So um, I really encourage people to do the same thing or similar.
0: So give people kind of like the, the 60 to 90 second high level overview of who you are, what you've done and what you're actually doing now.
1: Sure. So January 2016, my mom and cousin bought a flipping course, dragged me along to it best thing that ever happened to me. Knew nothing about real estate then. Uh, perfect example was I thought asbestos was a type of mold. So that was, yeah. Um, intro into real estate. We tried to flip houses, you know, on Long Island like you are and failed mainly from a lack of execution, but also from just being newer in it. And, you know, just the system wasn't quite set up right, but really just, you know. We didn't do it right because there are people that are doing it like yourself. So um, instead of trying to beat our head against the wall, though, we decided to pivot and try other things. So We tried out-of-state flips. We tried tax deeds down in Philly. And then eventually we got introduced into multifamily from John Cohen, who's one of the owners at Toro, where I worked for four and a half years, like you said. Partnered with him on a few smaller deals. So we did an eight unit and a 17 unit up in Covington, Kentucky, right across the river from Cincinnati. Did an 82-unit deal down in Jacksonville, Florida. We were supposed to do another 86-unit in Jacksonville, but we walked on it after due diligence. But while we were doing that 17-unit, I was working a full-time job as a stockbroker, which I hated with a burning passion.
0: I can't picture you doing that at all.
1: It was miserable. Um, (laughs) But wanted to leave and just was lucky that John had started Toro with his partner, Don, focusing on much larger deals. So 100 to 500 units, 5 to 50 million dollars and we're starting to look for some help. We said we would do like a trial run. I hopped over there for like three months on like pennies. And then eventually it formed into a full-time role, eventually turned into me basically running the entire Florida portfolio for them, which was about a thousand units, uh, about seven properties. We owned five when I left, we had sold two. Uh, And they always kind of knew I was looking to do my own thing. But when I kind of made that decision, the reason the job even came up was i was talking with john about leaving and doing it on my own without work but i just wasn't ready yet and i didn't know how i was going to do it and he proposed coming to work for them for a little while so they always knew i was interested in leaving and going yeah. off my own. it actually lasted longer than probably any of us thought um but yeah decided to buy this 16 unit deal down here in jacksonville for myself and kind of as i was going through that buying process decided to you know leave move down to florida Uh, start a vertically integrated firm with property management, construction management in-house. And then we closed on our second deal, uh, which was 24 units about two months ago. And like you said, you know, my goal is to hit 500 million in 10 years.
0: That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Good for you. So a bunch of things start to come to mind as as you go through this. Um, I mean, A, we live in instant gratification society, right? So everybody's always like, I'm ready to buy buildings tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, Explain kind of what the educational process was working with Toro and ultimately how long it really took you to feel like, you know what? Like I'm really ready to go do this on my own.
1: Well, five years is is the answer. I could I have done it sooner. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean it took probably like a solid two years before I like really had the good basis, like, you know, two years of being in it every single day for a year and a half, the first six months I wasn't in it every, you know, I was still working. So the first six months wasn't, you know, 50 hours a week. It was, you know, the, the year and a half after that. But after two years when I really felt like, you know, I could carry my own weight, really, you know, run things for them without a ton of oversight. Um, you know, if I brought a deal that I thought was good to the table, you know, there's a good chance. You know, they took me seriously every single time, but a lot of the deals I brought to the table and really backed, you know, they, you know, made a serious offer on, or we won in purchase. So, you know, it, it took a little while, like that's not a, an easy thing to do. And you really only get it through, you know, a sustained level of experience and mistakes and, you know, learning from other people. So, um, I also knew too, one of the reasons I decided that was I've always been someone who learns by being surrounded by people who know a lot more than me and just, Repetition of the things that they do and say and kind of bring to fruition. So I knew it was just going to be the right situation for me than trying to bang my head against the wall, you know, 40,000 times until I finally get it.
0: So were you, um, did you basically do a little bit of everything? Like you did some acquisitions, you underwrote, you did property management. What did you do over there?
1: Yeah, you know, I would say 75% of my job was acquisitions and asset management for the stuff in Florida. So, you know, most of my week was finding new deals and running the deals we had. Um, But I also, you know, raised some money, helped with the debt, you know, helped with the insurance, um, you know, helped with like the entity formation and stuff like that, Um, you know, helped make offers. But like a lot of things I didn't get on the nitty gritty side of. So like negotiating contracts, I never really did. Um, You know, formalizing the debt process, I never really did. Because a lot of that stuff involved like, you know, either their financials or, you know, the balance sheet partners financials, or, you know, really got in the weeds on legal stuff that they were going to have to do anyway. So there's no point for me to get involved. Um, You know, a lot of the money raising just takes a lot of hours. So I just didn't have the time to do it. And, you know, they've got to focus on things too. And a lot of investors want to speak to the owners of the company. So I would help, but I was never like the primary driving force behind that. So, yeah, I would say, you know, 75% was those two things. And then I dipped my toes in a lot of other pools, which really helped in the transition out. But I mean, there's still, you know, things that I had done or did in my previous job that were still newer to me. Like, you know, the big one was the closing process. I wasn't super familiar with because I just heard about it, but I didn't have to make sure all the, you know, the numbers balanced out and everybody's got things right. And, you know, crossing T's and dot and I's type of thing. Um, You know, really securing the debt, understanding, all the mechanisms behind it, I didn't really do, um, and then obviously I've added stuff to my plate that I'd never done before in property management and the construction management. That was uh, been a been been a big learning curve for me as well.
0: Yeah, it's a lot, man. I mean, I basically do what you're doing, but just with fix and flip property. So we have my sure. in house property management that manages my rentals. I have you know one to ten unit buildings plus commercial stuff, mm-hmm. and then we do a lot of construction here. Also, it dude, it's crazy. Like it is, there's so much stuff. And I find myself more involved in the construction process than I ever wanted to be. And I'm really trying to get that off my plate. The construction, mm-hmm. the minutia of construction will just, it'll, it'll kill you. It's just there's so many moving pieces. Um, have you, since you didn't do a lot of capital raising under them, have, has that been a little bit of a challenge now going out on your own or just like an adjustment period?
1: Yeah. So I really haven't had to do it yet. Um, You know, My goal was the first deal and now the second deal, I was able to be a large percentage of, and then have close family members make up the rest of it. So I wanted to do it with basically my own money and have the proof of concept of like, hey, I can not only find good deals, but I can manage the whole process on a day-to-day basis, which I'd never done before, before really bringing stuff to investors plates and actually having a serious conversation. Um, I've been fortunate enough that through different, you know, podcasts, social media, just networking and stuff that I've had probably a couple dozen people reach out to me about investing without even really putting it out there. And I will, you know, start doing it more as I look to scale and have my processes down and my team built out and things like that. But I haven't really looked to do it too much yet because I am doing so much new and I'm somebody that, Needs to feel ultra confident in what I'm doing to be able to, you know, portray that to somebody else.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Are you currently the the chef, the cook, and the bottle washer? Are you doing everything? You're managing construction, raising money, finding deals, like pretty much. Construction. Um,
1: Luckily, I have. I was able. One of the reasons I bought the second deal was there was a. Uh, a manager and a maintenance person attached to it that came very highly recommended and had worked for the previous owner for five and nine years respectively. So I was really interested in bringing them on. So I've been incredibly fortunate to have them working with me for the past two months. So a lot of the day-to-day interactions with, you know, tenants and maintenance and things like that have been able to be taken off my plate. But yeah, the construction management, the finding deals, the raising money, all that stuff is still me. So I am... I've real one of the things I've realized in the past six months is I overestimated how much I could put on my plate day one. Yeah. Um, I would love to have a team of, you know, five or ten. I just don't have the dollars right now. So I'm starting to re examine some of the things I thought I could do all at the same time and try to find ways to outsource some of those things.
0: Yeah, it's also then once you get them, because that's like we're in a big hiring spurt right now. So like we're hiring people, we're moving to a bigger office, all that. Mm -hmm. But then you still have to train these people. You need systems. Like it's a lot. You know, throwing Mm -hmm. people into a system that is, you know, half messed up just makes it even worse. So I always say I'm like building a business is really easy. Scaling a business is very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. So um, so So
1: that's, I've taken, not to cut you off the last, this whole calendar quarter of Q2 I have I've looked at maybe one deal the entire time because all I've been focusing on is like closing the second deal and like really doubling down on the management systems, the construction management systems. Not that I'm even close to having them done, but I was like, I can't even look at another deal without getting some of this close to organize and a semblance of, you know, running itself to a certain degree. So, um, yeah, it's been a that's been a big learning process and some of them still working through.
0: So one of the big things that I always loved about you that you preached, which was very cool, was, you know, you don't have to invest where you live. You can live wherever the hell you want, but you can invest everywhere. Proof of concept. You were up in New York for Mm -hmm. basically your entire life and you were buying properties in Kentucky and Jacksonville and et cetera. I'm surprised that you uh, that you moved, actually.
1: Yeah, I really never thought I was going to. So I didn't mention it. But my first year out of college, I moved to Long Island, born and raised. I went to Hofstra, which is right there. And I did my first year out of school at 22. So there for 22 years, I went to Massachusetts and coached Division II soccer. I only did it for a year and moved back because I missed New York so much. So I was kind of surprised too. But, you know, I kind of got to the page where I was like, you know, I was 28 at the time turning 29. And I was like, I I had no lease at the time because of COVID. It ran out and I was living at my mom's place. You know, no girlfriend, wife, kids, house, lease, whatever. I was like, there's not really a ton holding me here. I was like, fuck it. Why not do it and go down and do it myself? And I've always thought that having property management in house, it was going to be a huge leg up, especially going forward, because as more and more people come into the space, not that it's super easy, but it's pretty easy to just market and raise capital and close on a deal and then have a ha- property manager run the day to day. That's not, An incredibly difficult thing. So it's like, okay, how do you set yourself apart? Well, if you're going to be the one running the day-to-day, that's a pretty big differentiator. Uh, And two, also, as you start to scale up, uh, if you ever want to work with like institutional investors, 50% plus won't even talk to you unless you have property management Uh in-house. And I'm not saying I want to go that route, but what it does is it leaves that door open for me in the future if I ever do. So for me, it was like, move down, try it, I said, worst case scenario, I'm just going to learn a ton, move back to New York, get another job, but good chances. It'll open a lot of doors that otherwise wouldn't have been available to me.
0: Nice. I mean, listen, you, you got to take the shot. You never know. Yeah. And I'm sure amazing things will, will happen. They're already happening. Mm-hmm. Um, are you looking to, so property management, are you looking to stay just in the Jacksonville, Florida area, or would you buy in Kentucky and all over the place and still manage in-house in from Florida?
1: No, right now it's everything's in Jacksonville because it's all you know the offsite management model when when you have 100 plus units it supports you know people that work there 9 to 5 40 hours a week so you have somebody there onsite every day that's much easier to manage from a distance when you're offsite and you've got a 10 unit building it, there's not enough work for people to work there all day every day unless it's a major construction project or something but even that's only temporary so you've got to have an office somewhere for people to work out of or they work from home that makes it tougher to build out in other areas. Um, So for right now, I'm just focused on, you know, Jacksonville, Florida, as I scale up or as I build a bigger management team organization process or whatever, you know, I'll start getting more regional looking at places like probably like Orlando, Tampa, Daytona, you know, Atlanta, Savannah, things like that, which are all kind of within a couple hours of Jacksonville.
0: So Florida is on fire, dude. Like, you know, people, everyone's leaving New York, going to Florida, I get it. Um, prices are crazy. Are you looking? Is your model, are you looking to stay in the smaller type buildings? Are you looking to stay in like the 25 and unders? Mm-hmm. Are you looking to just to do this just to, for proof of concept and then go big? What are you looking to do?
1: I mean, so eventually, you know, if the goal is to get to 500 million, it would be really tough to buy $500 million worth of, you know, one to $3 million buildings. That would just be a ton of transactions and just, you know, not worth a headache. Uh, For the next, I would say probably 18 to 36 months, I'll be focusing on, you know, call it one to $5 million properties, maybe upwards of like seven or eight that are you know, less than a hundred units because anybody out of state isn't looking at that stuff. It's too small. The dollars are too small. The management's too tough. It doesn't make sense. So that gives me a competitive advantage being able to bring that knowledge and understanding down into the smaller space. And as well, too, you're competing against individual owners who are only going to buy stuff that's probably listed on the market. So all those deals that get tossed around, you know, without actually going to listing or eventually if I bring people in and start doing more direct to owner stuff, it's just going to bring me better deals, I think, in the short term, which is also going to allow me, you know, to make more money and allow me to leverage that money further and, you know, hit my goal sooner. So I would say at some point I'll leverage up and go bigger. But for now, no.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I like this small stuff. To your point, it's, it's tougher to manage in certain respects, but like, I've actually met and talked to and seen – now I'm doing a lot of this uh, – starting to do a lot of this 3D-printed house stuff. Yeah. So it's interesting. My, my buddy who owns it, all these different you know funds and REITs are calling them up, and there are some monster, monster funds that own – there was this one particular fund I forgot the name, but they had 50,000 single-family homes that mm-hmm. were rentals. Yeah. They were just straight up buying communities, dude.
1: Yeah. No, it's crazy. Well, they're building single family rental communities now where it's basically like, you know, your HOA that you see with, you know, the pool and the fitness center and stuff, but it's single family homes and they just build them to rent them out. I mean, that's like one of the new development plays that people are doing. So I get it, right? You know, I would, I live in an apartment now. I'd much rather live in a house. So, and I don't really want to buy something right now, nor do I know if I'll ever, you know, at some point I'll probably buy something just to start a family, but like, I don't really want to put, you know, five figures down on a house when I can go use that for, you know, another property or real estate or whatever. So, um, I understand why it's popular.
0: Listen, I'm 41 living in an apartment also having absolutely no desire to own my own house. Yeah. So, uh, all I think is like, if I'm putting that money into that, A, I'm chained to it and B, I'd much rather be putting that money into buying rental properties. So um mm-hmm. I'm on the same page with you. Um what do you I mean big talk right now, 1031 exchange possibly going the uh the way of the dodo. Mm-hmm. Um how do you feel about that in general? You think it's gonna happen? And then are you concerned? Because I feel like a lot of investors are then gonna start going towards the smaller stuff because they'll be able to get under that five hundred thousand dollar uh mm-hmm. cap.
1: Yeah, so I don't want to pretend I'm an expert on this by any means, but from listening to other people talk about it, my gut says it's probably not going anywhere. Possibly they change it up slightly, but I just think it's too big. And one of the points that I heard that made the most sense to me was you know, the Joe Biden and the Democrats have the majority and whatever right now to pass stuff. And they've got way bigger fish to fry in a two year period before reelections come up for like the Senate seats, the Congress seats or whatever. You know, they're looking at things like, you know, health care. Um, they're looking at things of, you know, what else? Are the, you know, obviously the, the COVID and the stimulus, you know, they've got way more important things than a, you know, a tax reform that's been, you know, put up on a plate to be changed for, you know, a couple of decades now from what people have said. Apparently it's come up a number of times where they've tried to ax it and change it. And so far it's kind of, you know, stayed around. So do I think it's going to happen? No, but I'm not an expert by any means. I don't know what, you know, how seriously the administration is looking at. I don't really know the history of it. You know, all I know is we've done it a couple of times and I get how it works. So I don't want to pretend I'm an expert by any means. Um, But at the end of the day, look, if it's gone, the market just adjusts for me, right? Like, yeah, I think it would suck. I think it would hurt the market in the short term. But, you know, that's what happens. People adjust, people change, they find new strategies, and you know, other things come up. So, um, if anything, it would just be a huge incentive for somebody to find a, a new strategy or a new way of doing things or a new way to sell properties. And you know, the market always adjusts. So I'm not overly concerned with it myself.
0: No, it makes sense. Uh talk about the Florida market in general, man. I want to hear about it.
1: Uh, it's fucking stupid, is the guy's <laughs> honest true. I I see the
0: numbers are nuts. Are cap rates compressing like crazy? Is it hard to find deals?
1: Yeah. So, well, I mean, here's the one thing, right? The thing that I've always known the growth has been crazy for years and years, right? And Jacksonville is kind of like the redheaded stepchild of Orlando and Tampa, where it's like, you know, nobody, the joke is like nobody purposefully moves to Jacksonville. It's like everybody just kind of ends up here by accident. Um, But I'll tell you like one out of every 10 people that I talk to, is born and raised here. Nine out of 10 are from somewhere else. And like four or five out of 10 have moved here in the last couple of years. So it's like, you know, anybody I know that's born and raised in Jacksonville, I call them unicorns because you just don't really hear about it anymore. And everybody's from somewhere else. And that's kind of the trend I've heard everywhere. And it's just like every day you hear somebody else is moving to the area. So it's like, you know, for me, I, I don't even know how you project things out and how you buy things where it's like, You know how do you stay competitive? Trying to buy in, you know, today's rates and rents and underwriting when people are gonna look at that and say, well, you know, it'll just appreciate and we'll just hold on to it and do well for a while. So yeah, cap rates are coming way down. Um, Pricing seems to be going crazy, but you know, if you can find a deal that even makes you know a little bit of sense, I just think you're set up so well because you know, I just think the trend's gonna continue for a while. I don't see any reason why people would all of a sudden the you know, because there's such a flood of people coming in, you know, population and demographics don't just change on a dime unless there's you know some sort of tragedy or quick reason. You know, that would be a, a trend that would take a long time to reverse. So, I don't really see it for the next few or several years changing anytime soon.
0: So, talk about the relocation process and figuring out where you want to invest. Like, why Jacksonville? Because there's a lot of people out there that like they want to invest out of New York, out of the area, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Yo, how do I figure out?" what a good market is? How do I build a team there? You know, mm-hmm. How do I look at like the different demographics? How do I know that this is a, a, a place that I want to plant the flag?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's a million and one resources. You, the best way to start is put together a list and just start doing research. But if you Google any city, demographics, information, population, real estate trends, the nice thing about the new wave of the content world is because everybody wants clicks, views, um, engagement, there's so many people that are going to do the work for you. you basically don't even have to do it yourself. So if you just Google any city and the stuff you're looking for, you know somebody like us has already put that information together for you, which is pretty nice so you don't really have to do a ton of homework. So you know for me, there's no excuse not to really you know figure that stuff out. Um, where people should start though if they're going in new markets is either areas they already know, or places they already go to, or places where people they know live, because then you can start to leverage knowledge you already have or people you already knows knowledge and get it that way. Because it's way easier to work off any sort of referral than it is to just you know, go into a market cold. Um, so the example I can give that might be really powerful is when I was looking for that deal, the first deal, I actually didn't look in Jacksonville first. I was actually going to buy a deal in Indianapolis. The reason I really like Indianapolis is it's a top 25 Metro. And for some reason people really underestimate it because it's not like crazy high growth or it's got anything really sexy going on, but it's just always been steady, eddy, uh, you know, net migration in, and there's a lot of older properties that haven't been renovated. So I was like, there's a really good opportunity for, um, you know, value add and refi out as well as cap rates were higher as well. If like a cap rate was a five in Florida, it would be like a six in Indianapolis. So with rates so low, there's a really nice spread there and good cash flow. But then what started happening was I started doing all the research, like, you know, what are the good neighborhoods? What are the good markets? Where's, you know, the path of progress? Where's the gentrification? Where are, you know, younger people moving to, where are the jobs? And I was like, what am I doing? I was like, I've been doing this work on Jacksonville and Florida markets for the past four and a half, five years. Why am I trying to reinvent the wheel? So for me, when I looked at Indianapolis, just for me personally, I had a lot more risk in the deals because I didn't know the neighborhoods and the markets as well as a market like Jacksonville because i had spent a ton of time there. I've been there multiple times and I knew the area really well, knowing the market so well removed a lot of risk and the opportunity for me to make mistakes. So that's why I tell people like, hey, if you grew up in another market, like, Go back and look to see if that's a market you want to invest in. If you have family that you visit a few times a year, go there. If you vacation someplace a couple times a year, go there because you're already going to have some knowledge that'll be tougher to find by just looking on like Google Maps or Google and like, hey, what's the you know top neighborhood? Because like everybody knows, right? Just think about where you live. There's areas that are good that you live in, but you go a couple blocks and things change. So you know those things aren't always easy to find out unless you've been there for a while uh or you know you know the area really well i mean things that i thought i knew about jacksonville have changed dramatically since i've now been living here and i've been you know coming down every two months for the past four years so um you know the more time you can spend in the market the better you know it the better chance you're gonna have of you know finding a good deal in a good area in my
0: opinion okay no that um that makes sense i um because i think that that's people's big thing they're just like you know what I, but you basically laid out very quickly the, the process also like you, you have to build it. Like, so I guess let's, let's go into Yeah. I'll,
1: I'll go back to, yeah. So, you know, come up with a bunch of, mar- right. Google top 10 hottest growing markets, right. Or something like that, or top 10 markets to invest in, you come up with a list of five to 15, you whittle it down to a couple. Um, then you start building a team. Um, then you, you know, ask, try, if you know anybody in the area, call them up tell them what you're looking to do ask for anybody or anything they know and just start getting referrals that way if for some reason you literally know nobody in the area just go on bigger pockets put a post find post go on you know facebook groups for real estate investors in the area i guarantee there's at least one if not you know dozens um, if not go on like just a you know a, whatever type of thing you're trying to invest in if it's multifamily single family f- flipping wholesaling you know, mobile homes, go in just a generic Facebook group and put a post up, guarantee somebody that invests in that area will see it. Um, and you just start asking for referrals. Let's say you get like a property manager as the first one, right? Talk to the property manager, interview them, then ask them for referrals for the best brokers, yes. um, the best mortgage lenders, um, you know, accountants, lawyers, whatever, and just then go from there. And all you do is you hop from one person to the other and ask for a couple referrals in all the different industries. And oftentimes, once you start talking to five, 10, 15, 20 people, you'll see a couple names kind of pop up a few times. And then, you know, that's how you create your shortlist, interview people, choose one. And then, you know, after, you know, six, 12 months, you figure out if it worked out or it didn't, and you make changes as necessary. You know, there's no really, there's no magic formula, you know, just network with people, get referrals, then eventually pick one, try it hope it works out and if it doesn't then make a change
0: from a financing standpoint do you prefer to work with local lenders that are in that area or you work with big national guys and it doesn't matter
1: you're somewhat limited by the deals you're buying um you know like for me because i'm buying smaller deals a lot of the stuff is more like you know smaller insurance companies smaller banks regional banks stuff like that i personally will always use a broker uh, especially now because I've got way better things to do than try to talk to yeah. ten different, you know, lenders or five different lenders and stay up with, you know, what the market rate is and how to present it. Because, you know, just like anything else, the story you present to somebody is going to indicate how interested they are, how tight they can get on their underwriting, different things like that. So um, it is well worth the money to pay somebody half a point, a point, to go out and find the loan for you and then, you know, you got to pay the half a point or point to the actual lender too. So you might be one to two points and just underwrite every deal with two points, one to the mortgage broker, one to the lender and you'll be fine.
0: Yeah, no, without a doubt, I'm, uh, I'm the same way. I, uh, I used to be able to do it myself and now it's to the point where it's like, there's so much going on. I'd rather pay the fee to have somebody do it. And a lot of times when they have all that time, they end up bringing you better deals to save you a lot, a lot more money in the Mm -hmm. long term anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, so, Well, I mean, it's people-
1: literally where I was saying earlier, like I'm trying to find things to outsource. I I didn't ever decide to bring that in-house, but that's something quickly that everybody should outsource. It's not worth anybody's time. Unless you're like, oh, I used to be a mortgage broker or a lender and you know the world really well and you got connections, then okay, yeah, maybe that's a different story. But if you've literally never done it before, don't waste
0: your time. Uh, talk to me about social media because... I mean, in the world, there are a bunch of multifamily guys that are on social media, but in, as far as, as a whole, there's not that many multifamily guys out there running around really doing the level of social media that you are, that, that I've seen, I see the older generation, obviously you're a young guy. So, you know, talk about just the process of how you got into social media, what are you doing? What are you sharing? And ultimately like, what's that done for your business?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I had seen for a while how powerful it can be like anybody else. And at one point I just said, fuck it. And let's just start doing it. So I just went on Instagram, just started posting random stuff and, you know, didn't really get anywhere, but that was fine. I was like, you know, you got to start somewhere. Um, and just kind of the reason I said, fuck it one day was at the time that I started this, I was really into the Joe Rogan podcast and he happened to post repost the his first ever podcast recording that he did. And it was, literally the worst thing I'd ever seen. Um, it was like the worst quality. It had some weird overlay over it. They like didn't know they were recording for like the first couple minutes. So it was just like really cool to see that, you know, somebody that large, you know, started being, you know, as being as bad as I was right. Or even worse because technology got better and you know, you could actually make things look better. So I was just like, all right, let's just start doing and we'll figure it out over time. Um, and then eventually what I started doing, Doing because I was a big and still am a big Gary V fan was taking, you know, longer form video stuff, chopping it up into clips and posting it, and was doing that all myself. And then I was just like, all right, this is just too much time. So eventually I found some guy to do it for free just on the side and teach him real estate. And then eventually we started getting into the process of, you know, starting our own podcast, John and I, um, you know, hiring people to do uh, the social media stuff for us. Um, and then as I've left now I've got a, a woman who works for me part- time out of California that just absolutely crushes it on that side and just basically does it all for me and I mean we're putting out you know a video a day across a couple different platforms and you know we're talking about you know adding some more stuff to it as the company grows. so I'm really excited you know like I said the reason you know I had a you know a few dozen people reach out to me about investing without asking. That's all from you know social media slash networking and a lot of the networking has come, You know, from that. So uh, it's been a really powerful tool over the last two years. And I'm sure as I start really trying to raise money or really trying to find deals or really, you know, market other things, it'll be a nice foundation or platform to really allow to do that stuff as I, you know, put the word out more and communicate it more.
0: Are you, uh, do you and John still do the podcast or is that Mm -hmm. Nick? Are you do? Yeah. That's awesome. No, I was going to say if you don't, you should because that would be very cool.
1: Yeah. No, it's been good. We've been doing it, you know, for six months now. So the last, God, 30 episodes or so, um, you know, I've been in Florida, he's been in New York, so it's been cool and it's, you know, good too, right? Because when you move away and you stop working with someone every day, you s- stop talking as much, so it's a good way for us yeah. to kind of keep in touch as well and just check in and see how things are going. So yeah, it's been really good. Obviously, I don't we won't be doing it forever, but you know, it's been good to continue it for now, so it works.
0: No, I, I think the dynamic is very cool. I mean, especially like you guys started together. Now you're doing your separate thing. He's up in New York. You're down in Mm -hmm. Florida, and you guys had a very good, uh, you had a good dynamic. What has? Because I'm always preaching to people, start a podcast start a podcast. What I mean, you and I are here right now, and we've we've done some things together because of a podcast. You know, you started a podcast, Mm -hmm. you reached out to me, I came on, we met, we had mutual friends. Obviously, you know, we're from Long Island. It's a pretty small place. Mm -hmm. As many people there are. What what's the podcast really? What has it done for you? Outside of yeah, you have some you have some people reaching out that want to invest. What kind of impact
1: has it had? Um, I mean, a lot, right? Like I just firmly believe the you know, the more people you know and the more people that know you, the better opportunities you're gonna have. So I mean, just from a networking standpoint alone of like, you know, all right, here's the perfect example. When I decided to move down, I reached out to 20 people I already knew in property management and spoke to them about it. And I picked their brain and, you know, small and large, right. Some, you know, people that manage, you know, five doors and people that manage, you know, 5,000, just picking their brain on, you know, what software do they use? What things have they learned? What things have been a problem? What are little tips and tricks that, you know, have helped them along. And I mean, it, you know, easily boosted my learning by several months, if not, you know, a few years, because there are little things that I picked up along the way that made my life, a lot easier. So just from that standpoint alone, I mean, how do you even calculate what that is quote unquote worth? I mean, just having those people available to either reach out through, you know, like DMS or, you know, LinkedIn messaging, or I already had their cell phone cause we had talked or their email. Cause we'd emailed about the, you know, the podcast and stuff like that. Us having jumped on and spoken for 30, 45, 60 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is. And just being like, Hey, you know, here's what I'm doing. Really excited about it. You know, Um, we really love to pick your brain about it. You know, that's a way easier entry point than just reaching out to somebody cold or even just having to spend the time to find those people. Right. It was like, as I was moving, I had a bunch of people in mind already. And even as I was going through the process too, right. As I was thinking about making the change and making the move and talking to people, I had a plethora of people I reached out to, to just kind of talk to them about the idea, you know, see how it had gone for people that had left or started their own thing. And, just kind of pick their brain so i mean that in itself was just incredibly valuable
0: what do you see as like the biggest challenges in what you're doing now is it raising money is it finding deals is it finding qualified uh, quality people to work for you or subcontractors or vendors what is it
1: so you know right now this the toughest stuff for me today is definitely doing the renovation management um yeah bro nice. I, I don't, I don't even want to call it construction management because it's like a lot of it is like aesthetics. I mean, we are doing repipes on one of them. I got to build a laundry room and rebuild some staircases. So those are a little bit more like construction, but it's not like I'm, you know, ripping off siding or adding extensions or, you know, you know, restructuring walls or anything. It's a lot of it's cosmetic. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that stuff has been pretty tough and been a pretty steep learning curve. Um, Like one of the things I'm contemplating is as I get a little bit bigger, you know, trying to find like a, you know, either outsourcing like an owner's rep for this stuff so I'm not going out there every day or bringing in an in-house like construction manager type thing. Um, but that today is the biggest one. I think the biggest challenge I'm going to have is, you know, like you said, the scaling process of like finding people, putting systems in place and having the KPIs to keep everybody on track to actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's going to be the toughest part, which I haven't even really quite gotten to yet because I'm still building the foundation.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's tough, man. The bigger you get, like the more people that I have in here, the more you're like, you're burning so much money every week with you know payroll and everything. And then the inefficiencies of every day can just cost mm-hmm. you a ton, a ton of money. So it's, what are uh,
1: some things hard. that you've done that have been helpful for that?
0: I'm kind of, I mean, I'm really lucky to have great people. Like I've been fortunate enough to hire really, really great people. For me, I, I always... I always manage construction from day one and I always had in-house people for my first flip. I realized I was like, yo, I need to control the construction. I need to have a construction company essentially because contractors are a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So I was fortunate enough to have Leo who is essentially my foreman and and runs construction. And the guy basically bleeds for me. So I think it really, really, it really starts there. Mm -hmm. Um, on the flip side, I think because people in the construction and you're gonna need to have some staff guys for sure just to do like to do little things at, at, a, at a bare minimum, especially if you're doing like the smaller type of, if you're doing five units and eight units and 10 units and 20 units, that kind of stuff, there's going to be little things that go wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. So at first I had Leo doing it. Now we actually have somebody that works dually for the construction company and my property management company who does repairs mm-hmm. as well as, as riders for, for sales, but controlling the construction is, is, is vital. And now I'm building a, I'm building a, a custom CRM. I'm using the Zoho platform, but we're like customizing the hell out of it. Uh, and I'm not a super tech savvy guy, but once you get to a certain point, if you don't have that technology, that's saving time, you'll just, you'll want to blow your brains out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I had um the the maintenance guy, John, we were, tr- we've tested out him trying to do some renovations and it just didn't quite work out. Um, Cause yeah. he was just one, he was by himself. So it was tough to get a lot of stuff done. And then two, he was yeah. just getting, pulled in all these different directions for all the different actual like repairs and maintenance requests things. So exactly, um, that's what I was hoping that would be a part of it. Cause the second property we bought was much easier. We're just like changing out appliances, putting in vinyl plank flooring, um, painting and interior doors and some light fixtures, which, you know, isn't yeah. crazy, but it takes time, right? Like, you know, laying flooring isn't, you know, it doesn't just happen, right? You've got to do it and, you know, putting in appliances and doors and picking stuff up and getting it delivered. And, all that stuff. So it just like didn't quite work out where I thought it would work. Um, But yeah, definitely trying to get to a scale where I've got enough projects going on to have like one to three people that are literally just in there to actually renovate units, not the maintenance side of things would be great. Um, But I can't be the person also overseeing that as well because it would just take way too much time away from you know, the things that are probably the most important, which is, you know, deals and money. Cause that other stuff, yeah. you know, you pay somebody enough, you'll get it done. Right. It's just, you know, how much are you going to pay?
0: No, exactly. And then when you get to that point where you're doing a ton of rate, uh, reno stuff, it's, you have to, you actually have to really trust the people that are spending the money. Like I have, like I have people that are literally spending my money all day, every day. And you have to make sure like, are they overspending? Are bills getting paid? It's, it's a lot. It really mm-hmm. is. Uh, it really is a lot. You gotta have the right people. But construction, construction is, has been the hardest part for me. But the good, the good part about construction is, I feel like people in construction, like people that work in construction, have stereotypically been treated so badly by general contractors <laughs> and by their bosses that if you do the right thing by them, like these guys have been with me basically for six years. Everybody that that comes to work for me essentially. Stays unless they move out of state or something like that. Mm -hmm. So once you get those good guys, it's, it's easy to keep them, but it's, it's a, it's a funny balancing act. Like you were saying before, it's like, you need, you need more deals in order to hire more people and then you need more money, but you need more deals. And it's like these three pillars that are constantly going up and down that are never level Mm -hmm. and you're always like chasing after (laughs) infrastructure, money or deals. One of the three.
1: Well, that's where I'm balancing, right? Like one of the things I'm just thinking about saying is like, screw it. Can I find somebody part-time? And, you know, like I have a, you know, a burn rate basically until I get, you know, ROI positive. Cause I just don't have enough deals right now to support yeah. me, staff and all that stuff. But I knew that coming into Right. But I'm almost like, I'm close to break even right now, but I'm like, all right, do I just spend a little bit more to get somebody to manage the whole renovation, construction, project management today, which will allow me to find another deal sooner and, you know, go that way. Cause I get that 100%. It's Like what, you know, one of those things has got to give soon, right? Like you got to, you know, spend money to make money type of thing. So it's a really interesting concept of like, okay, which, which lever do you pull? that hopefully helps you pull all the ones in the future.
0: So two last questions to close this out. One for people out there, when you're raising capital from people and they're coming in, you, you know, you create a waterfall structure where you have, you know, debt and equity. And there's a general partner and a limited partner, but, you know, kind of briefly for people out there explain how a developer like yourself makes money?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, there's a million and one strategies, right? At the end of the day, it's you can do whatever you want if you've got the investors for it. But a more like standard structure is if you're going to syndicate the money, typically investors want to see you co-invest some percentage of the deal. Uh, I would say a rule of thumb is like 10% of the equity. Um, So what that would mean is let's say you had a 10 million, uh, we'll do a million dollar building, right? Just for your easy math. You might get a $700,000 loan and you might have $300,000 in equity. Um, we'll say that was the all in number, right? Let, yeah. You know, taking out renovations and stuff, right? So the 300,000 is, you know, any renovation, closing costs, down payment, stuff like that. So you're going to raise $300,000 from whoever, right? Because the bank is the 700. So let's say you put down $30,000 in and invest, you're going to go raise 270 grand you raise that from, you know, call it five people. Um, So you've got your full 270 and there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Typically there's some sort of acquisition fee. So when you close, you'll get a certain percentage of, you know, the deal cost. So if it was a million bucks and it was 2%, you know, you'll get 20,000 bucks for putting the deal together, putting the investors together and closing.
0: What do you typically see the acquisition fees ranging from?
1: all over, but I would say, you know, one to 3% of purchase or cost, depending upon the type of deal and who it is. Um, You know, the smaller it is typically a little bit higher. It is the larger the deal, the smaller. So, I mean, if you're buying like $50 million buildings, you're probably getting 1%. If you're buying like, you know, five to 30, maybe it's in the two-ish range. Um, You know, if you're lower, maybe you do three. I've seen people that do like Four, five, six percent I personally think that's crazy astronomical. And if you are an investor and you see that you should run, but people do it. So, you know, it, it's up for everybody to decide. That being said, if you do like a, a real development deal, like a ground up development, it might be a little bit higher because the risk is higher. It's a longer payout, stuff like that. Um, so I'm really talking more of the value add multifamily stuff. Um, then typically you'll have an asset management fee which is calculated the same way as a property management fee. It's just a percentage of income every single month. So if you collected, you know, a thousand bucks and it was like 2%, you know, you would get 20 bucks, but usually it's more than that. Um, and that's just kind of to keep the lights on and stuff. Then oftentimes, you, you know, some people might have like a disposition fee. Like if the deal sells, they just get a flat 2%, um, 1%, 3%, something like that. Sometimes you'll see a refinance fee. So instead of selling, if you refinance, they'll take a certain percentage of the loan as a fee. Um, But then typically what you'll see at some point is that waterfall structure that you mentioned. Uh, And it's basically just a profit sharing structure. That's really all it is, but waterfall is just the term people use. Uh, And basically all it is is saying that as you hit higher returns for the investors, you take a larger piece of the pie. So typically what you'll see is some sort of preferred return and all that means is that the first X percent, the investor gets a hundred percent. So if an investor was a ten percent owner in the deal, the first let's say eight percent, I'm not taking any percentage of their pie, right? Their ten percent. If they invested hundred grand and it was eight percent, they would get eight thousand bucks a year. The general partner is not taking any percentage of that. The general partner is the person running the deal, limited partners are just the investors. Over 8%, typically you'll see some sort of split. So you might see like 70-30 or 80-20. And what that means is every dollar over that 8% per year, 30 cents is going to the general partner, 70 cents is going to the limited partner. And basically it's saying, hey, I did a good job, I hit the return threshold, so I'm making extra money for doing so. Mm -hmm. Um, then, you know, people can get crazy, right? There can be multiple hurdles, multiple splits, but oftentimes you'll just see, you know, that's some sort of preferred return and that's split over it until all the dollars are distributed. So you can get as creative or as, you know, simple as you like, but we'll just keep it there. So it doesn't confuse anybody.
0: So no, that was a perfect explanation. So, I mean, it seems as you go through that, right. Looking at the numbers, it really makes sense from, from your standpoint or from any developer standpoint, to do as big a deals as possible,
1: right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, one of the reasons, right, I'm not just buying deals for myself is it allows me to make money on other people's money, which allows me to increase my return. So a lot of times if an LP is going to make a two X return in five years, net fees, the general partner might make a three X return. So if you invested 100 as a hundred yeah. as a limited partner, you might turn a hundred thousand into 200, which is a great return by the way. But if you're the general partner and you're the one running the deal, putting it together, raising the money, doing all that stuff, and you invest 100000 well, instead of getting 200000 you might get $300,000. i am not yeah. saying that's exactly how the math works. A that lot of sense. variables that go into it, but I've seen that be the case before. So that's where the incentive is, is, hey, I can really, you know, accelerate my returns on my money by putting these deals together, running them, raising money, and making money on other people's money. So um, that's really where the incentive isn't that.
0: No, that's awesome. Final question. Um, cause I want people to understand exactly, you know, what's involved in, in building something like this. What does your day to day look like?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, right now with the renovation stuff, I'm running out there almost every day. Um, part of the problem has been, there's a couple of vendors I chose that I have not been thrilled with, and I probably should have cut the cord a lot sooner than I did. So I'm going through a transition right now and, finishing up some renovations and, you know, making, making adjustments on the fly to kind of fix things. So hopefully that'll change in the future. Um, I'm also spending a lot of time just setting up admin bullshit for like company and payroll and stuff like that. Um, But I would say, you know, putting out fires, managing renovations, um, dealing with tenant problems that come through my team, um, you know, networking a ton, doing different, podcast social media stuff. Um soon I'll be looking at more deals. Soon I'll be talking to investors. Um so there's a lot. So every every day is different, but every day's got a good element of chaos to it.
0: That's awesome, man. Well it was great to catch up. I really appreciate you taking the time out. Super excited for you. Very proud of you that made the leap, man. That's a big deal. Not only Thank did you, you you know jump into a new business, but you decided to just up and leave the state. Mm-hmm. So um I, I commend you for that. If people Thank are interested you, in following you, investing in you, seeing what you're doing, again, you put a ton of stuff out on social media, how do they find you?
1: Yeah. Um, easiest way, and everything kind of links through it, is Instagram. So it's just at Um, You can find it there, but I'm on everything, right? LinkedIn, you can find me. Uh, we have the podcast. It's called The Real Estate Investing Experience. It's on every platform, including YouTube, uh, or you can go to the REI the reiexp. dot com slash podcast you can find that there um yeah i don't have a website yet still working on that um but yeah just social media is the best place
0: that's what's up yeah again thank you i appreciate it and obviously everybody out there in podcast land knows i'm the handsome home buyer you have a house that smells like cat pee any kind of nasty real estate out there even not so nasty i want to buy it 516 sold and obviously if you need any kind of permit help don't forget the captain Captain Permit, five one six five one three eight eight three eight. That's a wrap.